Good morning, everybody. This is IBS Eases coming at you guys live again for the second week of the full count. We're going to recap some baseball action and talk about some of the things going on around the league. Uh, I got my co-host Brian Malone on this weekend. We were supposed to be doing a uh, video cast, but I couldn't get the uh, Google Hangout to work properly. So we're going to do it the old-fashioned way, um, basically how we used to do it uh, through the um, through the blog talk. Give me one second. <coughs> All right. Um, we're trying not to make this show too long. Um, again, it's early in the season, so there's not, like, a whole lot to go off of, but there's still some interesting storylines. Uh, one of the uh, interesting storylines that we're going to talk about uh, starting out is the uh, Baltimore Orioles. Uh, after last night, they're 8-2, and two, and they they just can't be stopped, it seems. Um, their offense is clicking on all cylinders. you got Trumbo in the middle, Machado, uh, Chris Davis, then they got uh, Adam Jones back. I think last night was his first game back or maybe the night before. But he had a brief stint on the uh, DL. But he came back and, and added two RBIs to already potent offense. And they, they're just they're just whipping people. Um, Malone, what do you think is, uh, is the key to the Baltimore Orioles' uh, quick start this year? Well, I mean, it, it's got to have to do with Trumbo. Uh, a lot of those guys were already there. You bring in a guy like Pedro Alvarez, who's gonna, you know, put some protection to guys like Chris Davis. I mean, not that they really needed it, but you know, extra protection always helps in your lineup. Uh, so you you bring in Pedro Alvarez uh, and you bring in Mark Trumbo, two guys who can who can definitely put the ball out of the ballpark. Trumbo hasn't been doing it as well as he used to, uh, but you know he's bouncing back. It looks like this year he's got a hot start at least. And uh, I think, I mean, when you're hitting 400 with five home runs and 11 RBIs and in 40 at bats, like that's about as good as it gets. Yeah, I um I took a look at uh, Trumbo's stats uh, compared to um, last year at this time, which is just a a two week span. But even still, I'm a big Trumbo supporter. I've um, always liked liked the way he played, uh, even in Arizona. Uh, he had a down year last year. Um, think in Seattle, but um, let's see. He's at 389, three home runs, six RBIs, 1.088 OPS right now. Last year, he had a 281 average, no home runs, three RBIs, and a 281 OPS, which I think is strange uh, that his OPS is that low with the 281 average, but that's what it said on uh, MLB.com. Uh, most stats, if I if I say any stats, they'll come from MLB.com, but um. Yeah, I think Trumbo Trumbo doing what he's doing is definitely helping. Um, I wanted to point out what I yeah, think had, is the reason why. Five RBIs last night. That's what it is. I'm sorry. I think he hit. I, I was say, I think he hit two homers and five RBIs last night. <laughs> yeah, he had he had uh, two homers in in the same inning. I think. Yeah, he was. So I mean, that's just like when you got a guy who's doing stuff like that for you in 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 your five hole, you know. Uh, maybe in the six hole sometimes. Like I said, when Alvarez plays, Alvarez didn't didn't play last night. But when Alvarez plays, you know, like I said, you got you got a guy like that sitting in your six hole who's who's, who's got the potential to, to mash two home runs and five RBIs in a game, or even in an inning. Uh, it, it makes your lineup really scary when you got guys like they who can do that. Like I said, you got Chris Davis, Alvarez, uh, Mark Trumbo, and then you throw in the other guys like Machado. Uh, Adam Jones, 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the offense is extremely potent. It's just always the same question for the Orioles is do they have the pitching? Yeah, and um, that was another thing I was going to point out uh, towards the end, um, whether or not they they can actually sustain such such an offense, which given the Orioles' history in the past, we, we've seen them um, be able to hit the ball, but, but, you know, starting out, it usually goes in spurts. And um, it's a long season. Uh, but right now it looks like it, it just can't be slowed down. And, and I think um, one of the unsung heroes is uh, the leadoff, Joey Ricard. Um, I really like what he does at the plate. It's just interesting to see somebody that gets on base as much as he does and doesn't have a stolen base at all. Um, but uh, he's, he's uh, to me, he's the catalyst. Uh, the, I think the Orioles have struggled in the last couple of years with a the, with the solid leadoff. Uh, somebody that hits for a high average can get on base and um, give guys like Machado, Davis, and those guys uh, different situations when it comes to pitching and uh, the selection that they have to give. And I think that's one of the things that's very uh, overlooked in baseball. You get a guy on first base, no matter who's coming up next to bat, it completely changes uh, the the pitching selection uh, based on if this guy wasn't on first base, you know. And that goes for anybody. So I feel like, if you can get a guy constantly on first base or consistently, because uh, he's batting over 300 right now, so if you can get him consistently on the bag, and then the guys coming in behind him, everything just systematically changes, and, and you got somebody like uh, Manny Machado who who can you know move runners and get on base himself. You're looking at a, a situation where you you can't pitch around guys like Chris Davis anymore, or or when you get to Trumbo in, in the five or six spot, you can't pitch around them. Because there's no like the bases are covered or, or you don't want to face the guy behind him. So it makes it makes the uh, lineup uh, pretty potent to me, like a domino effect. Yeah, I mean I agree. I mean when you like I said when you uh, like you said when you get guy on uh, when you get a guy on first base, it completely changes the way the pitcher thinks about the the batter, the next batter, and he, he, even if even if you know he'd tell you that he doesn't, you know subconsciously, it, it definitely changes just the whole way you approach the game. Yeah. Um, so given how they started, when do you expect to see the Orioles kind of come back down to earth? Or do you expect them to ever come back down to earth? You think maybe like two, three weeks we'll be having a conversation what happens to the Orioles offense? No, I, I, I think their offense is going to be there. Uh, I, I just don't know if it's if like you, like you said, it's going to be more of what we've seen in the past, where they they have some downtime and they you know go on stretches like this, where they win eight out of two, and then they go on stretches you know like they did at points in last year, where they go two and eight over a ten game stretch, and that's kind of the thing that's plagued the Orioles for the last few years. They just don't if the bats aren't rolling, they don't have the pitching to to make up for it. You know if they. I, I think it's something like the Orioles gave up four and a half or five runs of games last year or something like that. And so, like, if they're not scoring that, you know, if their offense is a down night, they're just not going to be able to win. They weren't, they weren't able to win games last year. And so we'll see if uh, the addition of Gallardo and, and these guys they've got in the rotation after that uh, can can pick it up this year. And I don't know. I, I, personally, I expect them to keep this hot start for maybe – I don't know, like you said, another two, three weeks, maybe a month at the most, and and then they'll finally start to kick back down to earth. Right. Yeah, I um, I I actually expect them to um, 
still do pretty good uh, in regards to to records this year because I haven't seen much from the pitching in their uh, division, which I thought would be better. Um, like starting the starting pitching in the AL East is is kind of down right now, but I don't even know if I could say it's down or if it's just that the bats are really good because you got the Blue Jays and the Orioles, even the Yankees uh, can can hit the ball pretty well this year so far. So um, I think I think they're going to make for uh, entertaining baseball, high scoring baseball, which is what people um, always complain about. So uh, Orioles are definitely a team that uh, anybody that considers themselves a casual fan should definitely watch. And uh, keep an eye on for the rest of the season. Switching over to uh, the opposite end, we have an eight and two team in the Baltimore Orioles. We've also got teams who hadn't even won a game yet. <laughs> so uh, one of those teams, unfortunately, is my Atlanta Braves, but they won last night. And then the Minnesota Twins, who I'm very surprised were uh, winless, also got their first win last night against the uh, An- Los Angeles Anaheim or Los Angeles of Anaheim Angels. <laughs> uh, we can start with the Twins just because um, I have my thoughts on the Braves. They're all fan base, obviously. But um, <laughs> I, was, I was a supporter of the Twins last year. Um, I thought they could all. I thought they could sneak into the uh, postseason. They they had a slight chance, a very slight uh, outside chance, and they played some really good ball last year. I don't think anybody predicted them to win um, as many games as they did. I think I had them around the low 60s, and I'm pretty sure they were in contention for that uh, last wild card spot all the way till about the last week and a half of baseball. Um, have you had a chance to, to look at any of the, the stat lines or scores for the Twins this year? Yeah, I did last night, actually. I went, I went and looked at some of the stat lines, man. It is bad. Uh, yeah. Dozer's hitting under 200. Sano's hitting under 200. Ploof's hitting under 200. Uh, I mean, that. Everybody in their lineup is, is literally hitting under 200 except for Joe Maurer. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's the complete opposite of what you've got in Baltimore. You know, in Baltimore, you've got five or six guys having just the hottest starts they can have. And up in Minnesota, you know, like I said, the, the heart of that lineup is all hitting 150 and, and 115 and things like that. So I mean, it doesn't matter how good your pitching is when when your three, four, five, six hitters are all hitting under 200. You're just not going to be able to win games. Yeah, and that's one of the things I highlighted too. Like instantly when I looked, I was because I like I said I was really surprised that they hadn't won a game. Even Dozier, There's a couple games. Dozier was the name I, I was trying to think of. Dozier's hitting under 200. So I mean, your best players hitting under 200. It, it's not a good look. Yeah, and and I um I noticed last night they had them out the lineup which, I mean, I'm pretty sure they want to sit all seven of those guys that can't hit over 200, yeah. uh, kind of give them a little mental break. But um, I noticed uh, all their games were really competitive, and there were times um, throughout the week when I would just, you know, scan over the, the scores, and I would see the Twins up or the Twins in a game, or it would be like 1-1 going into the seventh and stuff like that. And then they end up losing 3-2, to two and, and it just – I was like, wow, maybe, maybe they have bullpen issues. But honestly – when you when you're playing in the American League, if you can hold teams to about three to four runs, I consider that a good deal for uh, pitchers because there's some lot there's just a lot of good bats. And um, I know the the White Sox are in their division. They're actually surprisingly eight and two as well. Um, they play the Royals, they got the Indians, and they got the Tigers, who are also a hitting machine. So going forward, I think they can be positive about the way their pitching has held up so far. 
but they got to get these bats going, man. Um, Sano especially uh, being the power hitter, and uh, Plouffe, they're they're the three and four hitters, and they're batting 156 and 200 right now. That just can't fly at all. And if you're gonna bat like that, you got to at least give me some RBIs. Because uh, Joe Maurer is batting in front of him, so he's getting on base, and he's not a speed demon, but I'm I'm pretty sure he's getting some doubles out the, out of uh, his at bats as well. So, well, I'll keep an eye on him. Um, I'm hoping that they have a little bit of patience uh, with their manager, because it's still a young team, uh, relatively young team. So they're still transitioning into the uh, everyday uh, things that baseball entails with with hitters, and I think. A lot of people give up on guys a little too early when they're young like this. So I'm hoping they give uh, Molitor um, a little bit of time and, and give him a chance to turn it around. He's he's trying to shake up the lineup uh, as we speak. Like I said, he had Dozier out last night, so and they ended up winning, scored five runs, I believe. So uh, we'll see what what they do going forward yeah, they, uh, to yeah, make they the beat change. The, uh, they beat the Angels, who are over there uh, wasting away the, the greatest talent we've seen in, in oh, since King Griffey Jr., our, yeah, that that was a there was an interesting article about that too. I'm gonna veer off of it a little bit. Uh, the article basically was asking how long can the Angels just sit by and and do Mike Trout like this? <laughs> and I, I didn't even think about yeah. it honestly. Uh, but I got looked at the team and I was just like, man, they they really are. This man might be um, might be postseason um, starved for the next three to four years easily because that division is getting better. Uh, with the Astros and uh, Rangers, they're, they're leaps and bounds ahead of the Mariners and uh, Angels, if you ask me. But um, hopefully, hopefully, maybe he can work something out where he can get out of there because it's, it's not looking good. And and the things that they did to improve their team haven't improved anything at all. Um, they actually were talking about the big the big signings of that GM was uh, I think Wilson, C.J. Wilson, Josh Hamilton, and Albert Pujols. And we see how all three of those turned out. So um, they don't have much out the farm system right now either. So it's not looking good. I, I think they're probably going to end up doing him like they, uh, like the Rockies did Tulo, kind of keep him around for maybe three, four years, and then you know send him on his way. Yeah, uh, I just don't know. You know, you never know with the general manager of talent like that. I mean, like you said, guys like Griffey brought it. Uh, on teams that couldn't make the playoffs because GMs didn't want to give up that kind of a talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, it, it really all depends on, on on how much the Angels GM values Mike Trout uh, and how big of a noise how big of a noise Mike Trout makes. You know, that's the thing. It, it, I, I feel like Mike Trout might be, might be he might be one of those guys who who just won't say anything to the public and won't say anything to the media. And I, I mean. It's not going to affect his play. He's too good of a player for it to affect his play. But when uh, I just don't know if he's going to be the, the kind of guy who's going to come out and make a big public stink about it and force the team to trade him. Yeah, he doesn't strike me as that as that type of player either from a uh, mentality standpoint. But it, at some point, you know, you as, even as a player, you you realize that the guys around you are not getting it done, and it's affecting your play as well. Like you're going to get frustrated. Um, I know um, it, it kind of upsets me to see him in a lineup where he doesn't have much protection, and he's already uh, picked up bad habits of, of trying too hard because they, they need him. They need Mike Trout's production, and uh, his strikeouts are increasing drastically since uh, Pujols uh, started to decline 
And um, I think Calhoun helps a little bit. But um, as from what I've seen when I watch him play, he's being overly aggressive in situations where he used to be laid back. And I think a lot of that is, is just because he's kind of putting the pressure on himself to help his team win games, swinging at pitches out of the strike zone, trying to do too much. Because um, it doesn't help that if he gets on base, nobody's moving him over. He's going to have to steal his way to third and hope for uh, Albert Pujols to, to hit one of those dribblers uh, at a second baseman or, or fly out before he can score. So um, I, I have a lot of I have a lot of uh, faith in Calhoun as a um, as a good role player in that lineup, and I'm hoping that they can figure out a way to get him uh, going to take a little bit of pressure off of Trout. But to me, that that's the only that's the only thing um, that he's got to look forward to because Albert Pujols isn't going to get any better. Um, I think his decline is is evident and. It's one of those things, uh, it's just a matter of when it'll all completely collapse. Well, the thing is, you look at like a team like the Angels, and this is just a, a warning for pretty much anybody. I mean, it's very hard to do what teams like what, – what, it's very hard to go out and spend money in free agency, and it doesn't always work out. I mean, you got – they went out and paid Pujols, Josh Hamilton, C.J. Wilson, David Freeze. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of anybody else. They they, they paid their own guy Weaver, uh, who you want to keep around, but still they spent all this money. Uh, and Pujols is the only one who's even playing right now, and he's not even playing well. So it, it just kind of goes to show you, man. I mean, in baseball, you need guys who are homegrown, and the Angels don't have any. Uh, they don't have any good ones anyway. Uh, yeah. You need guys who come up through your own through your own system, and and you know. Like you look at some of these at the great Yankee and Red Sox teams, and uh, and that have you know that have gone back and they spend all this money on free agency, but they've always got two or three guys who are homegrown stars, and and you know guys who came up through the, through like even like you look at the '09 you know Yankees World Series team. I'm just bringing it up because I'm a Yankees fan, but you know guys like Cano and uh, and you know they they still have the big four obviously with Jeter and Posada and Rivera, but. Mm-hmm. You have to have those homegrown guys along with the the free agents, and the Angels never really had any of that. So they went out and spent all this money, and they they had the the flash, but they didn't have the substance behind it. Yeah, and, and, and that's um, yeah, I was gonna say that's the transition I think that the the game is is taking. And I was on a podcast with uh with another uh, guy last week talking baseball, and I was thinking to myself, um, and I even said it on there that the the Royals model. The way they have their team set up, I think I see a lot of teams nowadays moving to copy that. Um, the the Cardinals have always been that way, uh, homegrown talent for the most part, sprinkled in with some guys that they uh, bought um, at uh, good rates in free agency. But uh, the Giants are another team, another team that wins, that uh, builds through their farm system. I, I see at least three to four guys on that team. I used to watch uh, out here in Richmond um, at their double-A affiliate on the Richmond Squirrels, uh, Panic, Crawford, Belt, Strickland, um, they're a closer. Those are four guys off the top of my head. I know for a fact that I would sit and watch for five dollars, and they're they're helping right. them win a championship. You know, so those things those things matter, man. And and um, I mean, it's nice to to pay guys like John Carlo three hundred million if you got it, but you also want to keep guys like um, uh, Hetcheveria and and um, Yelich if if you can develop the people around your superstar through the farm system as well, then 
to me, that's the new recipe for building a successful uh, MLB team. But um, going into 2018, I'm Actually, sure for me, you don't change. even really need that superstar anymore. Uh, if we're being honest about it, <laughs> I don't even. I mean, you even see my Kansas City. Like you said, it's nice to be able to pay these guys if you can. Uh, you know, obviously, you want to have a Giancarlo Stanton if you can have him. Uh, Kansas yeah. City wouldn't turn him down. But at the same time, if if, if you can follow that, even Kansas City's model, model of the way their offense is set up, where they just run and gun, and you know, you got a, you got a bunch of guys who can steal bases and and hit doubles. You know, you might have home run power, but they've got double power. Uh, and you got guys that are doing that. I mean, it really doesn't matter if you can put the ball out of the ballpark or not. It's all about moving guys around the bases. I I agree. I agree. And if you got the managerial style to do it, you know, um, speaking of moving moving people, and again, we're getting a little sidetracked, but this this is pretty much how we we talk baseball. <laughs> but uh, speaking of moving people, you know, I saw three squeeze plays this week. I don't think I saw a squeeze play at all last year, and this is, what, the second week of baseball, and I saw three people run a squeeze play. And um, the Padres actually tried to run one in a uh, 3-2 game, and there was uh, there was no outs. And the runner on first and third, and they tried to run a squeeze play. And it would have been perfectly executed, but the guy messed up the bunt. So I, I just thought that was funny. I was going to try to plug that into the show. Um, that people are there really is a change in the game right now. Um, I would like to see people bunt more in situations to move runners, but uh, we're seeing squeeze plays. Uh, we're seeing uh, people bunt to beat the shift. Finally, uh, I saw. Um, I saw. I think who did I see? It was a big guy, a big lefty. Um, I think it was uh, Kendrick Morales. He bunted to beat the shift because there's nobody over there on the third baseline when they shift uh, for the lefties. So he just laid down a bunt, and he got the he got the first. And then ironically, the team wasn't prepared. So the the guy, usually the third baseman goes like shifts over to like shortstop. So nobody knew what to do. So the third baseman instinctively ran after the ball on the bunt, and the guy that was on first ended up on third because nobody was there to cover third. So they're making people think, um, and they're they're doing what they can to to um, counteract all the statistics and, and sabermetrics that, that are um, kind of negating good bats. So I thought that was something to point out as well. Well, I, I also think managers are, are kind of realizing this isn't the, the 90s anymore. Um, yeah. They really kind of they really cleaned up the steroids and things like that. And so guys aren't, dude, guys aren't hitting 50 home runs anymore. Guys aren't even really hitting 40. You know, back to kind of the, 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 the way it, it always was in baseball before the 90s. And uh, so, so we're seeing that kind of game come back, which 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 is yeah. is good for for people who really like the sport and and really like the game. Uh, it, it's fun. It's fun to watch. It, it, this is this is what makes baseball more interesting to people who really pay attention to the game because this is where the strategy comes into it. You know, when you've got nine guys in your lineup who can all put the ball to the ballpark, you don't really need a strategy. You just go out there and hit the ball. Uh, but now you got to play these mind games. So you said you got to run squeeze plays, and you got to run, you know, hit and runs, and and you got to do all these kind of things to to produce runs, the way that a team like Kansas City has for the last couple of years. But that's 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 the way baseball has always been played. It's just most of us growing up, that's not what we watched because it was the steroid era, and so you can't yeah. really take baseball as that. You know, that's not what baseball is. That's not what it always was. So. 
I, I think we're getting back to more of baseball that you saw in the 80s and the 70s and, and the baseball that you saw ever since, you know, the modern era of baseball started before the steroid era. I think I think we're getting back to seeing a lot more baseball like that. And, and like I said, if you like baseball and you like the strategy of baseball, it's uh, it's perfect for you. Yeah, and, that, and like I said, I've been um, hashtagging youth movement. There's a lot of young players that are uh, leading the charge for this new era of uh, baseball, and, and it's to me it's exciting. Um, they're, they're better athletes than what we're accustomed to seeing. Um, they seem to take their craft uh, serious. They're not as necessarily skilled as, say, the Bonds and, and Griffies and Maguires and stuff like that, but they're given the effort, you know, they can turn the corner at any given notice, and, and they still have enough overall talent and athleticism to excite just as much as, as those guys did. It's not necessarily 72 home runs, but, I mean, we could potentially see a 40-40 guy this year, and, and that's exciting. You know, you get guys out there that are doing things like that. I know um, I saw, um, you know, because they drop tidbits uh, every now and then on um, on a lot of the uh, cast of, like, the Astros and stuff like that the low market, small market teams. And um, I saw some statistics on like Altuve and like a couple other guys or like the the first three people in, in like 50, 60 years to, to have over 100 RBIs and, and just as many stolen bases and, and stuff. It's just crazy statistics that they all pick out just to show that people are, the game is transitioning, the athletes are getting better and uh, is generating some some level of entertainment. It's just like I said. I think one of the main reasons why people don't find baseball entertaining, like in the last couple of years, is because a they don't want to give it a chance because of what you talked about. You know, they they grew up in the steroid era and they don't see those fifty, sixty home runs uh, on the stats anymore. And b because they just assume that everybody looks like Bartolo Colon because. We make fun of him in the baseball circles, and he is he is entertaining and funny, but that's not what people – people don't look like Cologne and, and Sandoval anymore. As you can see, Sandoval doesn't even play. You know, he got benched. Cologne is only out there because he's a pitcher. God, if he was in the field, he would never play. So um, I think uh, we're, we're seeing a good transition. It's just going to take a little bit of time for people to give it a chance. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I like what I'm seeing in the game. Um, I, I like to the youth movement is is definitely going strong right now. Um, like you said, they're just better athletes now. You know, what I mean, you got guys who are who are just a, a whole lot better athletes than we've ever seen on average. I mean, it's not a bunch of of slow guys out there anymore. These guys can run. A lot of these guys can run and make plays, and that's why I like. I like watching Kansas City, man. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. they just – the way they move the ball around, they've always got something going on. They've always got some type of – and that's the thing, you know, it, it, if you don't really pay attention to baseball and you're not watching, you don't really see these games within a game. Um, but there's so many little games inside of baseball. You know, the, the pitcher and the, the runner on second, or he's trying to he's trying to hold him on second. He's trying to keep them from running the hit and run all while playing the whole same game of baseball, you know? So it's it's uh, it, it's definitely a whole lot more fun to watch than just the guy going against the batter and seeing if the batter can hit a home run or not. Yeah, and, and before we roll into this uh, quick Braves uh, talk, I wanted to point out, you know, kind of roll off what you just said about the Royals. Last night I was watching them play the athletics, and it was a, it was a 3-2 game uh, for the most most part. So it was, it was interesting 
because uh, the Athletics are they're not as uh, talented as the as the Royals by no means, but they're they're uh, also a very small ball type team. So it was interesting like the managers were doing shifts and and people were were uh, stealing bases and stuff. It was kind of like you know who's gonna who's gonna make the first mistake. And I thought it was funny um, to show the talent gap and chemistry that the Royals have. So they had a reliever in. He threw a couple pitches, and uh, um, the catcher for the Royals, Salvador Perez, called timeout when I'm in talk to him. Um, they threw another pitch, and I kid you not, Salvador literally stood up and just wiped his chest. Like it, and it looked like he had dirt on it because um, the ball fell. Um, out of his glove, and he went to pick it up, and he looked at the runner, and he wiped his chest and turned around, and like just moved his arm, and it was it was something different. Like obviously, if you don't watch the game, you wouldn't notice. But I was thinking to myself, I was like, did he just give them a sign? And sure enough, on the next pitch, they threw behind the runner on first, and they missed him by centimeters. Like it was so close, and it was crazy to me because you never see anybody throw behind the runner anymore. Uh, I think uh, Yadier used to do it um, on a regular basis. And uh, I think I might have seen Posey do it once. But, like, that that style of play, stuff like that, they don't do that anymore. And, and the Royals seem to to thrive off of doing the things that people don't do anymore. And I think that's what separates them and makes them the better team out of uh, all these other teams that are more talented in different aspects of uh, hitting. The Royals seem to always do the things that nobody does anymore. And it's the little things, and they add up, and they turn into runs or – like last year, or World Series, you know, a guy on third just playing his ball, taking home, and he was a—he's the first baseman. He's not even supposed to do that, but he's just his up, and he knows I gotta go here, and they're taking chances, and it pays off for them. So, um, I'm with you. I love watching the Kansas City Royals, and it pains me that I, I like them so much more than my actual team, uh, who we're gonna talk about right now. The Atlanta Braves are one and eight, which we finally got a win, <laughs> but um. Me, personally, as a fan, I wanted us to keep losing. Um, I think we need to lose at least 100 games for Freddie Gonzalez to finally get fired, and maybe we can progress. But um, one of the things I, I've always uh, loved about the Atlanta Braves is, is our identity as a uh, good pitching staff team, um, good defense. And um, I was just going to ask you, um, get your opinion on this, and we'll switch uh, subjects. But um, – <clears throat> The Braves are rebuilding. Do you think the rebuild process in baseball is effective? Because I know we see a lot of that in, in other sports like ba- basketball and football teams rebuild. But uh, being that baseball takes so long to develop talent and stuff or competitive talent, do you think the rebuild process in baseball is effective in the in the methods that the Braves are doing? Yes, I do. Um, I I think the rebuild process in baseball has a has a roadmap now, um, kind of that same roadmap that uh, Houston and Kansas City took, where you just really tank it out for a couple of years, uh, kind of the Sixers plan. You know, you, you tank it out for three, four years, and, and you get some really high draft picks, some guys who are, are pretty much guaranteed stars, um, like Houston did in a Correa. You know, they got a George Springer. Um, you know, they drafted Altuve. So, I mean, you really kind of have to just tank it out for a couple of years and, and and get a bunch of young young draft picks and see who pans out. I mean, that's really what rebuilding is in baseball. And then once you get some guys who pan out and, and your team is decent, you can attract some free agents and fill in holes around them. 
uh, I think that's that's kind of the model that baseball has has come up with. If you're not, you know, New York or Boston or L.A., uh, that's kind of the model you have to follow. I think the Braves are doing that. Um, I I don't think they could have gotten it more for Shelby Miller. Um, you know, whether Swanson's good or not, uh, th- that's kind of you trade a 17 loss. I, I know he pitched well in those 17 losses, but the guy lost 17 games. And you can trade him for the number one pick. I mean, that, that's that's exactly what you need in a rebuild. So I, I think the Braves are, are are trying to do it the right way. Uh, I just, you know, we'll see if if they actually do. But uh, I think acquiring the most young talent is kind of the way you have to go now to to get a rebuild and see who sticks. Yeah, and and I think. Um... I think fans just just have to realize, you know, when your team's rebuilding, because the Phillies are going through it too, actually. Um, when your team's rebuilding, take take the few moments that you get that are good, <laughs> and uh, hang on to them, because it's a long process. Um, and it, I actually think the Astros got boosted by moving out of the National League into the American League, and uh, it's just um, just one of those things where you just never know when you're, you know, bringing in talent how they'll develop, but um. Like you said, the the process in general has shown that it, it pays dividends if you're patient enough. And um, one thing I wanted to ask you before we uh, move on to our next topic, did you know that the Astros used to have J.D. Martinez? He's a product of their yeah. farm system. Yeah. I did not know yeah, that. I did. That's crazy. They would have had Correa, uh, Springer, J.D. Uh, it's one of those situations, about, man, he – and this happens a lot in baseball, and people always wonder, you know, oh, what's going on? Why did this guy take off here, and he wasn't very good here? Um, I, I think it has to be something with with, with uh, just going to Detroit and and being around. You know, I'm not sure who their hitting coach is, but obviously he he obviously this JD Martinez was not in Houston, you know, or Houston probably would have kept him around. So I think it's kind of the same situation uh, as uh, Jose Bautista, you know, in Toronto, where Bautista was not very good in Pittsburgh. He goes into Toronto. Uh, he he works with a new hitting coach, and that hitting coach turns him into a guy who's hit, you know, 200 home runs in the last five seasons. So I think that's kind of the same situation we have with J.D. Martinez, where the guy, whoever they got up in Detroit, really, really, really helped him out and, Helped him pick something up that he wasn't picking up in Houston. Yeah, and um, he's definitely benefiting from batting behind uh, Miggy, <laughs> which uh, actually we're going to roll into that topic. I'm going to skip some of the stuff that I had because I know you got to leave in a little bit, and I'll cover that by myself. But um, I'm going to introduce a new segment called The Pickle, um, where we go back and forth um, on, on a topic. And, and when I say back and forth, I'll give him a scenario. He'll pick and, and give me why he thinks this person or this this team or situation is better, and I'll um, I'll give a rebuttal and give him a chance to uh, rebut as well. Um, for the first segment of the pickle, we're gonna go with a comparison. Um, who's the better top five of a lineup? And we're gonna take the Tigers and the Blue Jays. All right, the Tigers have Ian Kinsler, Justin Upton. Miguel Cabrera, Victor Martinez, J.D. Martinez. The Blue Jays have uh, Kevin Pillar, J. 
Josh Donaldson, Jose Patissa, Edwin Encarnacion, and Troy Tulewiski. Who's the better top five? Uh, it's tough, man. Um, I know. <laughs> I'm going to have to go. I mean, I have to go Toronto. Uh, but but it, it it's so close. I mean, it, it's really a toss-up either way. Uh, I just think Toronto has just a little bit more talent. Uh, Miggy's had a down year, year and a year and a start to this year. So last year, start to this year, uh, he just really hasn't been the same triple crown pusher that that we always saw. Um, I mean, JD, but then you know, JD Martinez is a lot better. But I think Bautista's a little bit better than Mickey, or he's shown to be a little bit better than, better than Mickey right now. Um, obviously, you know, if Miguel Cabrera picks it up and he can, he can still be that guy. He just hasn't been in about a year. So that's the thing for me. I like the, um, I actually like the Tigers. I'm glad you picked the Blue Jays because I'm all over the Tigers this year. Uh, I think. I think if they could find somebody like Kevin Pillar, where they can move Ian Kinsler to the two spot where he used to bat um, with um, with the Rangers every now and then, I think it would be the most potent offense in Major League Baseball. And I say this on the uh, on the eve of of them being shut out by Dallas Kuchel, uh, which doesn't really count, man, because he's really good, especially at home. The man is fifteen and zero in Houston, so I won't hold that against him. I'll just count that as a glitch in the matrix, but um. One thing I don't like is the way this is set up uh, right now and the fact that I think J.D. Martinez is the uh, prototypical four-hole hitter and Victor Martinez is better in the two or five, but they, they have him as a cleanup, and I think that sucks uh, for their RBI production because Mickey's struggling right now a little bit, and I think I think he'll turn it around. It's, it's one of those things of, um, of him just overexerting himself at the plate, trying to do too much. And it happens to everybody. Miggy's one of the, one of the best hitters um, of his generation, probably the best hitter of our generation uh, or this new new generation. I don't know which era you want to count him in, but uh, let's just say post. We could say post uh, steroid era. He's probably the best hitter um, out there. So I'm, I'm very confident he'll turn it around. Justin Upton is very streaky. Um, he's not who I ideally want as a two hole hitter. But I I can see how they like him and how he's working. Um, they hit righties just as good as they hit lefties. Um, they actually theoretically destroy left-handed pitching, which again, Dallas Kuchel is the exception to that rule. But um, they're very they're very smart. Um, I see a lot of similarities in them that I see in the Blue Jays, where when you get through that lineup once, you're never going to beat them the same way again. You're going to have to completely reinvent yourself uh, on that next go-around. Otherwise, they'll tag you for about four or five runs, which they've done every single game this year. Um, They tagged Jose Fernandez, they tagged Garrett Cole, and then they whiffed on Dallas. So um, I like the Tigers. Um, I think they'll be the better offense uh, down the stretch as well, as long as they stay healthy. Yeah, but I can't. I can't say you're you're wrong for that. You know, that's the thing. And they're so the Tigers are so good as well that I just can't sit here and say, "Hey, you're wrong for for thinking that the Tigers could be the best offense in baseball this year." Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think that I don't know if Miggy's going to pick it up. 
You know, that's the thing. I mean, he, he the injuries piled up on him last year, and he's had a slow start this year. I mean, who knows if his body's finally starting to wear down. I mean, he is like 32, 33 now. Uh, I mean, we'll see. We'll see if, if – I, I think, honestly, Miggy might have to try and change his game up a little bit. Um, I, I don't know if he's got the power stroke he, he had a couple of years ago. Uh, I think that wrist injury – didn't he have a, he had a wrist injury last year, I think? Uh, the money yeah. some of his power. So I don't know. I don't know if he's got that power anymore. I mean, that's the thing. I don't know if Miguel Cabrera's can't shoot 35, 40 homers like he he wants good. Yeah. Um. That's that's actually true. And um. Now I'm in the in the situation where I can't really say anything about that either because Miggy Miggy is showing a little bit of signs that he doesn't have that pop anymore. Um. I'm more worried about the contact that he's making because he's always been uh, one of those guys that hits the ball square, as they say. Um, And I think that's why he's been such a high average guy. And here lately he's uh, fouling off a lot more pitches that he should be hitting out. Um, There was one, there was one the other day I was watching specifically, somebody hung a curveball, And I mean, that's death when you hang a curveball to Miguel Cabrera and he was dead on it. And he had the leg cocked up and everything. You just knew he was about to crank it, and he swung and it just fouled off. And so that that worries me a little bit. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if your your uh, top five stays the same, and uh, my top five in about a month or two changes. Uh, where Victor Martinez might get pushed down to the six hole, and we'll see uh, Castellanos uh, come up to the five hole and JD move to the four. Um, but I don't think Miggy's going to ever leave out of that three spot, no matter how much he struggles. Uh, moving oh, no, to yeah, the I, next, yeah, I, mean, I think you have to. Oh, go ahead. You have to give Miggy the respect that that he's earned. You know, they're not going to take him out of that three hole. You have to give him the respect he's earned. Definitely, and and that's that's big in uh, in baseball with a lot of these these veteran bats. You know. Uh, they do get the respect that they deserve, and, and you give them more time than you would one of these young guys to work through a uh, slump. But uh, switching over to the pitching uh, selection, <laughs> I'm laughing because I know you're going to be like, what the hell? <laughs> uh, for the pickle in pitching, would you rather have Jake Arietta or Noah Singard? Uh, i got to go Syndergaard just, just for the age. Uh you know, I think Arianna's like 30 or 31 at this point in his career. Uh, Sending around to, what, 20, 23, 24? So just for the age factor, i got to go with Syndergaard. But I think Arianna's better, the better choice for a one-year or a one-game. All right, so hear me out. I think Arietta is the new Cliff Lee, and I'm willing to ride him for at least four more years if he can get me to a championship game. <laughs> Because the guy is the guy is nice, man. Like I love I love Singard. Uh, I I picked him as my uh, NL Cy Young. That was the only prediction I said I could uh, wholeheartedly make and would not back down whatsoever um, at the beginning of the season. Is him as my Cy Young winner. But Arietta to me is is just he's just a rare he's just a rare breed of a uh, pitcher that you see. Um, get better with age. I think he's better this year than he was last year. And the, the few starts that I've seen, his velocity seems to be uh, um, a little bit higher. Uh, is capping out around like 95, 96. Most of the time I thought last year it was about 92, 93. Uh, I could be wrong. 
But um, his control is still probably the best in the game. Um, I think I might have seen one person who I who other than Wade Davis, obviously, um, that I thought maybe had a slightly better control in the Arietta. It's just <clears throat> he commands the ball uh, so well, and and the catcher doesn't have to move his mitt if he sets up inside and low. The ball goes inside and low, and um, he's just he's just poised all the time as well. And he's went against some some really tough aces, and um, I just think that he's uh, one of the better pitchers in baseball right now. But don't get me wrong, Noah Syndergaard is uh, definitely a, a stud, and um, he's young like like Malone said, and he's he's uh, also to me probably this year the the better of the I call him the um, I, I I had a nickname for the Mets. Uh, Smoking Aces, there you go. All right, so I call them the Smoking Aces, uh, DeGrom, uh, Harvey, and uh, Syndergaard. And I think Syndergaard this year is going to be the better of those three. Uh, DeGrom's got a little stint on the DL maybe. Uh, nothing too serious, I don't believe. And then uh, Harvey's ERA is about four right now. Um, he's always been one of those guys that he'll have at least two two phases of the season where he's going to struggle uh, but he'll be so good during the rest of the, the season that his, his ERA is going to get down to at least uh, low twos. So um, I wouldn't be too worried about him. DeGrom looked lovely in his um, in his debut. Uh, it was also against a uh, kind of a slightly uh, worn team. But uh, he's, still, he's still got good command. His velocity is down. But like I said, his command is, is there. So they're not too worried. But Syndergaard, to me, has the combination of Velocity and speed, I mean, velocity and uh, control, so he doesn't have anything to worry about. Uh, I think Malone had to bounce because um, we started a little late due to the technical difficulties. So I'm going to run the rest of the show by myself. I'll try not to talk too long for you guys. Um, when I talked about the smoking aces, one of the things I wanted to cover as well was the struggling aces. And uh, one of the struggling aces is uh, our buddy Madison Bumgarner. He's got a 4.02 ERA, which I'm assuming is way higher after last night. Uh, he got smacked around by the Dodgers. And I know some people are like, well, you know, it's not postseason. And and that's true. And and I remember, I do actually remember the days when Madison Bumgarner wasn't the shutout pitcher that we've come to expect until postseason. So obviously it's an even year, which I bring up every time we talk about the Giants. And it's Madison Bumgarner. So I don't, I don't want to speculate on anything. His velocity seems to be fine. Uh, his command is a little off. Uh, and then guys are just just picking up his pitches better. And some of that could come through uh, just natural wear and tear and overuse of his arm. Uh, he might he might not have as much movement on his fastball, even though it's still capping out uh, mid to upper 90s or something like that. He's not getting the uh, left to right movement and stuff like that. Uh, and He's been terrorized by right-handed batters, which obviously uh, old Madison, which a year or two ago, didn't have that problem. So it's one of those things where he might just have to take it a little bit slower, um, think about his selection, do a little bit more studying, and um, attack people in a different way. Uh, I think uh, Kiki Hernandez lit him up last night, and and Kiki's one of the bright young stars um, that a lot of people – are just now catching up to in uh, L.A. So 
it's nothing nothing to be too alarmed about, but definitely something to keep an eye on as to whether or not he can turn it around. And the uh, Giants have the luxury of having uh, Johnny Cueto and, and uh, Jeff Samarja, even Matt Cain, three other guys who have been in ace roles before. So if Madison needs to, to skip a start and, and move down in the rotation, maybe to like second, God forbid, third or fourth, uh, they've got the people to do that. Even Jake Peavy's been a been an ace before um, in, a, in a staff, so he's in a good situation to to turn it around. Uh, the other struggling aces I wanted to point out: uh, Zach Granke, Shelby Miller, actually are on the same team in Arizona. A lot of talk has been going on because Granke got this huge contract, and um, there's a lot given up for Shelby Miller. And I think the Diamondbacks and their fans had uh, expectations that were a tad bit too high. So um, I'm not going to read too much into it, to be honest with you. I just think they're both getting adjusted to Arizona. Arizona is a lot like Colorado. Your ERA is going to go up if you pitch there, no matter who you are. Um, it's just one of those uh, stadiums where the ball just flies, so I wouldn't I wouldn't be too concerned. The last struggling ace pains me to say, but it's my boy Chris Archer out in uh, Tampa Bay. Now, I don't know what, what's going on with Chris. He's always been – one of those guys that uh, he can give you five good innings, uh, and then occasionally he might can stretch it to seven. But usually around that fifth or sixth inning, uh, if you keep him out there too long, people start hitting him a little bit. And uh, to me, what that means is that he's just he's just not mixing up his pitches well. He's got a really good slider, and I think around the middle innings, because it takes so much energy to keep that control on that slider. He becomes more fastball dependent, and his fastball, even though it's, it's live, it's not it's not anything that's mind blowing. And I think that's what people are keying on, and they're and they're hitting it more. And he's giving up home runs, so um, he's got a little uh, Tanaka in him. Tanaka does that for the New York Yankees. He'll give you five really good innings, and then around that fifth or sixth, most of the time he kind of falters and gives up a couple runs. Uh, I would like to see him just seriously do what he did against the uh, Blue Jays. Uh, when the Blue Jays hit his fastball, he just threw nothing but sliders for at least uh, 10 to 12 batters, and it worked. And he was just, he struck out, I think, 13. So I'm like, dude, just keep throwing that. Like, if it if they can't hit it, just keep throwing it. Throw it till they hit it or till they pick up on it. And there's been plenty of pitches throughout history that have a gimmick pitch that, honestly, nobody can really touch, and that's what they throw. Uh, they, they lean on that. Um, and I think he's just being a little too uh, – reluctant or confident, or maybe he's just overanalyzing it, but he's got to get away from that fastball and go to his put-out pitch more. Um, I had struggling bats in there as well. Andrew McCutcheon, my boy from uh, Pittsburgh, is is kind of struggling this year. He's batting 263. That's not as bad uh, average-wise as most people would think. I think he's career-wise around like 290, uh, high 280s, low 290s. Um, but he has no home runs, and that to me is a little concerning. His RBI numbers are down, but I think that's because he's in the two-hole. Um, I would like for Clint Hurdle to, to move him back to the three spot or, or put him at cleanup, anything to get those power numbers back. And and um, I think he's going to see that even though the, the Pirates have a lot of young talent, they need Andrew McCutcheon's uh, ability to hit runners in, man. they got to figure out a way – to get him back to the actual middle of the lineup where he can drive in runs and he can do what he does best, and that's, that's hit the ball. So um, being a, at the number two spot, it's not really helping 
Um, I think he's got John Jaso are in front of him as a as a lead off and Jaso gets on base and is is great. But Jaso ain't ain't he's not he's not a threat to move over because he's a first baseman. So even if he gets on, like it, it's not the same. You you need somebody in front of him that's going to get on base and make people a little nervous, maybe steal a base or two or or even be a threat. Then when he does poke a ball in the hole, he's got he's going to get all the way to third at least. Jaso is going to get to second. Uh, and have to slide on a hit to the outfield. So uh, they need to figure that out. And, and Clint Hurdle's a, um, a great manager. I'm not going to knock anything that he does uh, in Pittsburgh per se, but I just think it's something that should definitely be switched up in the next coming weeks. And, and they're in a, in a tough division, so they got to figure out something to get those bats rolling. Um, I had a question for uh, Malone. Obviously, like I say, he had to step out early, but I'll, I'll ask you guys that are listening. You can answer uh, on the thread or um, just uh, inbox me if you if you have a response. Uh, what do you think is easier to overcome, a struggling pitcher or a slumping bat? Um, so in regards to what we just talked about, would you rather be Madison Bumgarner or would you rather be Miguel Cabrera, who's batting two forty one, uh, has one home run and four RBIs and one of the best lineups in baseball? Uh, so it's something to think about. Uh, I would be wrong not to mention the rookie impacts from uh, the last two weeks. Trevor's story, if you haven't heard about it, if you haven't heard the story, it's Trevor's story. Uh, a lot of cliche things going on uh, about the rookie sensation from Colorado. Uh, his average is down. Obviously, it was bound to happen. Uh, it's 295 now. If we had, to, I think last week when I was doing it, it was in the high threes. But um, that's just part of uh, early baseball. But uh, he's got seven home runs and 13 RBIs, which are, like, tops in the league right now. And that, and that, that's not just because he plays in Colorado. And, and the, he had the series in uh, Arizona as well. They are two hitter-friendly ballparks. But the man has made some serious adjustments to his swing uh, to make himself uh, improve. I think at one point when he had – Six home runs. Most of his uh, hits were home runs, but now I think he's uh, he's poking the ball in, in gaps every now and then, going the opposite way, stuff like that. Uh, taking what people give him, and, and that's the uh, transition of a rookie hitter that a lot of times you see guys uh, falter with, is that they're used to getting nothing but fastball, so that's all they can hit. And then when a curve comes, they just look like they've never played baseball before. But um, from what I've seen, he's... Um, He's definitely transitioned, so that's a good thing. And that Rockies lineup is something that people should keep an eye on. You know, if you're looking for excitement in the National League that you would possibly get in the American League, that lineup is is pretty solid, pretty solid. Even the guys they bring in as subs are, are really good uh, hitters. So um, I'm I'm excited for them. Uh, they're not going to necessarily win a lot of games because they're they're pitching. Even though they've done well this last week, their pitching is really inconsistent. So I don't expect them to, you know, compete for like a division or anything, but they're going to hang around and be competitive till at least June, July. So uh, keep an eye on them early if you want to want to get some um, some action on uh, runs and stuff. Uh, the next person I wanted to point out was uh, Ross Stripling. Uh, he's a pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, also wanted to point out their uh, their Asian pitcher. I think he's from Japan, uh, Madei or Madi. I uh, can't. I'm going to make sure I get his name right on the next cast. I, I didn't look up the uh, enunciation, but these two guys are, are really solid. Um, Ross has a uh, 2.03 ERA with nine strikeouts. 
Uh, not overwhelming numbers, but he had a no hitter going against the um, against the San Francisco Giants. Actually, in San Francisco, of all places, in his first career start, uh, he never pitched higher than Double A baseball, and he comes into the major leagues and he shuts out one of the better lineups in the National League. And what does the Dodgers do? They take him out in the seventh at 91 pitches, and then they blow the lead, and he gets a no decision. So uh, he's at zero wins and zero losses because he's gotten two no decisions because when he pitched against the Diamondbacks, he threw another gym, and how did they reward him? They couldn't get him any run support. So um, it's one of the guys I would definitely watch out for. If you're looking um, for daily fantasy stuff, he's one of the pitchers that I would uh, definitely play when he starts. Uh, the same goes for their uh, Japanese pitcher, Midei. They get favorable matchups um, against other pitchers. They're not going to face the Bumgardners and the, and the, the Grankies and the, and the top aces. They're going to get guys that are fourth, fifth in the rotation a lot of times. And they match up really well against them. Another guy who who also benefits from that is uh, Joe Ross of the uh, Washington Nationals. I think he's a great pitcher, uh, great young arm, and he gets the adequate run support, but he also gets the favorable matchups. He's not playing uh, against good pitchers. So those are guys who are going to get the uh, B-team lineups and stuff in a, in a three-game series or on a long road trip. They're going to get the nooner game, and they're going to get guys that are just there to take cuts because managers just want to give them some reps. So they're too talented to necessarily be beat by by uh, bats like that or teams like that. So definitely keep an eye on those guys. Um, that's pretty much all I have for today's episode. We're running on about an hour, which is usually how long the show lasts anyway. Um, I'm going to switch over to NBA action because we've got the playoffs coming, and I know some guys want to hear people's thoughts on um, what's going down for the playoffs. Uh, moving forward this week, there's still going to be some good baseball. Uh, enjoy it while you can. We gave you a couple teams to highlight. The, the hot team was the, the Orioles, but don't sleep on the White Sox. They're 8-2, too. I don't know how long it'll last. Uh, Middle-of-the-road teams that are like 6-4, and 5-5, five and five, there's still good, talented teams out there. You can always catch the Royals. Um, in the National League, the Cardinals are warming up a little bit. Uh, the Mets pitching staff is still good. The Marlins are as exciting as you could possibly be uh, with their team. They might not win a lot of games, but they're going to they're gonna compete. And they've got Barry Bonds as a hitting coach who has everybody happy uh, and also expecting big things out of their bats. Um, next week, I'll try to focus a little bit more on the daily fantasy for you guys. I'm going to try to get uh, my friend Siwu on here. Uh, to talk to you guys uh, about daily fantasy, and before I go, I don't want to don't want to dismiss what was yesterday, which was uh, Jackie Robinson Day. Um, obviously, everybody knows the story about Jackie Robinson and his impact on uh, Major League Baseball, but um, I just want to take a quick second to thank Jackie Robinson uh, or the ghost of Jackie Robinson uh, for what he's done for just minorities in all sports in general, and um, the people who helped him. Uh, get to where he could be that person to be that symbol uh, also need uh, some respect as well. So um, thank you, Jackie, and uh, all the minorities out there that, that play the game and all the people who allow uh, the minorities to fight for the minorities to get uh, equal pay, play, and stuff like that, uh, attention. Uh, thank you guys as well. Uh, baseball is a growing global sport, 
and uh, we see that every time the Fall Classic comes, people tend to come out and uh, show their support in droves from other countries. And I'm hoping that uh, with uh, you know Jackie Robinson's legacy and the athletes that we have in today's game, we can continue that. This has been the full count. I'm Abby S. Jesus. I'll see you guys next week.